And we are live for episode seven of the First Strike Podcast, brought to you by the good folks at face2facegames.com. Happy New Year, everyone. It's the year 2017. And to celebrate the first episode of First Strike in 2017, I've got my man, Doug Potter. How's it going, Doug? Things are good. This is going to be a good year. I'm pumped to be back. No longer sick. No longer stressed with school. Things are good. And here we are. Uh, close again close to getting fired here on the show <laughs> as I you were mean, joking on, I, missed, I missed two weeks in a row it's not that big a deal let's go now. <laughs> and we also as always have ryan godlieb on what the show team. pleasure sure. to be here i am uh on time here ready to work like always in no danger of being fired because i am a <laughs> consummate professional so let's do this a consistent soldier a consistent soldier um for this show as well, I think I'm going to be throwing in, uh, because it's a, it's a brand new year, doing a little giveaway uh, towards probably the end of the show. I'm going to ask the chat a question and uh, and draw out of people who have actively participated throughout the episode and who answer, end up answering the question as well. Um, before I want to get into the show, I'm, I'm just happy, Brian, that we uh, got Mike Flores uh, off his chair. We, we got him to write from his lazy asked to write an article for Gathering Magic. So um, he was pumped by what you said about him. Dude, I'm, I'm glad I motivated him. I, I love when Mike's writing. He's one of the all-time greats. Keep it up, Mike. Turn out some articles. I'll be honest, I haven't read it yet. But <laughs> if Mike, if you send me a link directly, I promise I'll read the article. I just haven't thought of it. So I'll make sure <laughs> I get it. <laughs> um, we're going to be talking a lot of uh, sweet topics, including PEDs, including the, some of the hot new cards that just got released today uh, that are coming on Ether Revolt. Uh, but first, Brian is going to GP Louisville, and, uh, which is a legacy GP. They don't host many of them every year anymore. Um, I want to know, Brian, as someone, like, how's your preparation going? And as someone like me who, who strictly focuses on standard modern, the, the, mainly, uh, the main formats that WotC supports, what would your tips uh, for me be to start attacking this format if I was to go to GP Louisville? Uh, I mean, this is it, it's a hard format to jump in on. I think Legacy, more than any other format, rewards you for years and years and years of familiarity, um, not only with your deck, but with the other deck in the format. You know, it, it's not uncommon to get paired against a deck that you haven't seen in years at a legacy tournament because people have such a firm attachment to their decks, they hang on to them for so long. Just the other day in the Moto Qs, I play against High Tide. I haven't seen a High Tide deck in probably about two years now, um, but I definitely faced it and had to be prepared for it. So um, my preparation, I'm not playing a lot of games. Uh, that's pretty par for the course for me. I, I don't really grind out a lot of games. That's not my style. Um, but I've been thinking a lot about the format. I find that in legacy, there's kind of two options. One is you you be one of those people who just clings to your deck forever. You know, a Joe Lossett with Miracles. Um, trying to think of other people who are just known for being tied to a deck. But but you know the people who week in, week out, they're showing up with the exact same Legacy deck. It's kind of a shock. Ross Merriam with Elves back in the day. He used to always play Elves. Though I think he's moved on since then. Um, you can be one of those people who just totally knows your deck inside and out and you get your edge that way. Or what I do is I kind of think in some broad swaths about the format. And there's kind of like some key cards I'm looking to see, oh, is this card lined up really well right now? Um, you know, some of the key cards I look for are, is this a counterbalance top time? You know, is, is this uh, abrupt decay time? Is this uh, 
graveyard time. Can I say this is a great time for a graveyard deck? Um, I kind of feel right now there's uh, a lot of benefit to being a Him to Torok deck, which isn't something I felt for a while in Legacy. Um, it just seems like there's a lot of, um, first of all, some critical mass combo decks. Things like Sneak and Show are starting to show up again. Things like High Tide, I guess. I mean, I wasn't expecting it, but Him to Torok is great against High Tide. Um, so right now I'm leaning towards a Him to Torok deck. There's also an exciting new print in Leovold. I guess it's not brand new, but it's just starting to kind of work its way into the legacy format. Leovold, Emissary of Trust. Um, so I'm, I'm leaning towards playing Bug right now. Um, but it could always change. I could always decide not to go to the tournament too. That's completely in my wheelhouse. So we'll see what happens in the next week. But that's kind of how my preparation has gone so far. Hmm. Uh, Doug, you, you mentioned uh, the, the Leovold card uh, being mentioned a lot by the Alberta community. Yeah, so I, um, I'm i not a big Legacy player. You know, it's a format for me where when the games are ending in the first couple turns, I just personally am not a huge fan of that. But I did, uh, I do spend a lot of time with a group of guys who play a ton of Legacy, and they love it. And uh, and Bug has been a popular deck in our area. A few of the guys, Marcel, JP, these are guys who champion it. And when Leovold kind of had its breakthrough, uh, I, I just heard echoes of it around uh, the community and especially my my friend group and this is a card i think that does some really cool things while still maintaining you card advantage either they're gonna you know counter it let's say with a force to will and you're up a card or they're gonna use like an abrupt decay or a plow on it you're gonna draw a card or it's just gonna shut down you know brainstorms if they've already drawn for their turn and they cast any kind of ponder or preordain like it, it has a lot of cool applications while while being like a relatively cheap um card i do always worry about how easy three mana cards are to cast in that format because you know i i've played a lot of local tournaments over the past year more than i ever thought i would for legacy and i would get wastelanded out of existence when i would be playing let's say four color delver with no basics <laughs> um so you know that obviously is of concern but i think the card's sweet and uh and i think it's it's cool to have cards come out of sets like conspiracy uh, take the crown that can that can affect a format that you know for the most part is still uh, a pretty touted format. I mean, it might not be getting the same Star City support as it was before, but I know the passionate legacy players still love that format. So uh, it's pretty sweet, I think, to uh, see cards come out of a set like Conspiracy. Hmm. Right. I'm just curious what the uh, Brian is there. Is this a case of a deck that's not? worked on enough by the top players in the world so that there's no real idea of what, what the true best deck might be right now, like a dominant deck, or there might not be one? I, I, think, I think the general consensus is the best deck is Miracles. I don't think that's going to change. I have played Miracles in the past. I, I've cashed two Legacy GPs with Miracles. I actually lost a winning in for top eight of Legacy GP with Miracles. So I'm certainly comfortable with it. I do, however, have time issues. I'm just not a super fast player. I, I can be if I have to be, but I often forget and I settle into this comfortable pace. And uh, I am definitely prone to draws when I'm playing Miracles. So that's kind of why I'm not leaning in that direction. Also, um, I don't always enjoy playing Miracles. It's, it's not, I, I kind of enjoy playing a Delver-style deck a little bit more. I mean, Miracles in, has certainly interesting things going on, but... Um, to get my max enjoyment out of Legacy, I want to play something with a little bit more turn-to-turn uh, -turn decision making. 
I guess. Although there is a lot of turn to turn decision making in miracles as well. I don't know. There's just it's a feel thing, you know. Like I I don't get the same kind of enjoyment out of playing miracles that I do from playing the Delver decks. But uh, yeah, that, that's the default best deck. You're you're right though that Legacy doesn't see the kind of concerted effort that standard and even modern does where you know you absolutely are going to have the optimal list and that's why you see still so much variance between even if we do agree that miracles is the best list which i'm sure a lot of people would disagree with um there's so much variance in the list you know some play monastery mentor some play uh you know someone like joe lossett who's maybe the most successful miracles player in the world is playing a very different list with like vencers and double uh caracas so there, there's still so much variance in what the lists look like. And, and you're right that we can't kind of reach the final decision because there isn't the amount of effort being spent. That's one of the best things about Legacy, though. Back in the past when Legacy was the Wild Wild West before the Star City series, I mean, it, it was kind of like, it's weird of me to say this because I'm such an optimizer and I always want to find the best thing, but Legacy was more fun when there was just all these like nonsense deck around that, that really actually like probably didn't have any place in the format. But we were all so unorganized and so unoptimized that they had a, a window to succeed. Um, and that's what I really loved Legacy. I, obviously, we're, you can't go back. You know, Once you let the genie out of the bottle, you're not getting back to that state. But um, you are right. That's one of the reasons that we're kind of lagging a little bit behind. Yeah, it's, it's just interesting to, to oppose it to standard where I can even track uh, you know, blue-white, green-black, and like Ether Works Marvel gets tweaked at this point, and then it, it's now considered the, the best deck and really look at the history of how the consensus deck has, has shifted. Um, so good luck to you, Brian. Hope you wake up for this uh, in like your, your RPTQ and have to settle with the play, <laughs> to play for uh, a PPTQ instead um, because I, I need to root for you. I need to uh, – I won't tweet after – I won't tweet during the middle <laughs> of day one. But, you know, I, I, I want to cheer for you. Um, it's so hard when you have no buys, you know? Like, I'm about to take a 13-hour drive to go play a tournament with zero buys because of the Planeswalker point system. Uh, it's, it's a lot to ask, but we'll see if I actually hop in the car and make the journey. All right. Um, question for the viewers watching right now. If you guys play Legacy, um, what's the best deck? What do you guys think is the best deck? And what would you recommend as a first deck for someone like me who hasn't touched Legacy for a long time? I mean, I think I played affinity like ages ago when it was sort of a deck uh, i don't know if it's still a deck now moving on to our next topic this one is um a topic that i've thought about before but didn't really know how, how to approach it it's, it's something uh i feel um i've heard stories about um because i have so many friends who, who play in the pro tour um, but me making two Pro Tours not being part of any top teams, I haven't really seen any of this stuff that we're going to talk about firsthand, and that's PDs. And uh, Brian was able to, to spark uh, this up by mentioning uh, the Steve Rubin tweet uh, this week or, or just last week where he tweets, NFL players suspended four games for Adderall usage. It's banned in chess, bridge, and by the ESL, several MTG pros use this, this amphetamine regularly. So this is something that I sort of knew was going on from stories um, by some of my friends that, that, that play on the Pro Tour, um, but nothing, nothing that I, I know of. Like, I don't know someone that's close to me who has taken it. Um, so let's start, start off. What do we think about this? Should 
this be allowed in MTG and should MTG regulate this somehow? Do they have the funds, the efforts? Uh, should they be doing this or spending their resources elsewhere? So we'll start with you, Doug. So first off, um, I just want to say uh, for anyone listening that's thinking, whoa, what the heck? We're talking about performance enhance, enhancing drugs and magic. Is this something that's really happening? It is absolutely happening. Um, I've been uh, I've been around players who are pro tour level players, um, GP top eight players who are talking about uh, trying it themselves or are trying it themselves because they know of pros that are doing it. It definitely is happening. And uh, if anyone you know read this Steve Rubin tweet and is kind of like, oh, well, this could just be conjecture that it's banned in these other sports. I do also want to mention that he linked four articles in a follow up tweet, which if you click on his original one. It shows the bannings in chess. Um, certain drugs are still uh, legal, such as caffeine and um, codeine are legal in chess, but they very clearly ban Adderall and that class of drugs, as well as a few others. Um, Bridge, in the ESL, they actually swab your skin before all their major events to stop players from uh, using, because supposedly they have a test that can detect if it's in your system through uh, your skin. So they're not doing urine samples, but they definitely are testing. And this is a very serious issue because players who take these drugs and are not prescribed, not only is it illegal, they're gaining an unfair advantage on other players. Um, from everything I've read, and I'll say this from the stance of someone who, when was offered if I could use this, chose not to, uh, I... Yeah, I was offered this before GP that I played recently, and I said, wow. no, I don't want to. Yeah, um, But I, I know that it enhances your focus and can help uh, can help you feel like you're in the zone. That was a wording that someone that I know who had tried it used is those times in a Magic tournament or in any kind of uh, tournament where you just feel in the zone and you feel like your decisions are really crystal clear, that's what it can provide you. I don't know if it always does, um, but the way I look at it is, is pretty simple. If many of the top players are using this, and you're someone who really wants to be one of the top players and is willing to do anything within the rules to be there, why wouldn't you, right? And of course, you know, some people can say, oh, well, it's illegal and, and, and this and that. But, but really, people that are really chasing being at the top of their game, if they feel like everyone else is doing it and it's not against the rules, just jump on in. You know, take that or all focus up, do your best. And then still there's variance and still you have to play tight. It's not like it instantly is going to make you win, right? But my stance is the complete opposite. I want this eradicated. And I know it's very hard to do, but there's a really simple first step, which many of these other organizations that we're talking about have done. And that's just ban it. Just make a rule that says, you know, if you've caught using this, it's against the rules, you will be disqualified, you will be banned. Put that in place. And then at least I think those who choose to do so are very clearly and intentionally breaking the rules, right? And, and that still happens. They're still cheating in magic, but it's something that gets really looked down on. It's not something that an aspiring pro wants to be associated with. Nobody wants to be known as a cheater that's really, you know, shooting for the top of the game, I think. Maybe a few do, but not many. And so I think that in itself is the step that can get easily taken and it may eradicate some of the use. It may not, but uh, I think it's a it's a great first step. Then, if we want to move on from that to talk about anything else, any other kind of testing, that's a dicey subject. And I I do think I would need to to think on that a little bit more. But that's my opinion. Just take the first step. Just say it's against the rules. Put it in a class like cheating. Say you get banned. 
And I think that's step one is a deterrent to people. Hmm. What about you, Brian? So this is, <laughs> I, I think this is a, a super loaded topic. Let me say that if wizards were to take the step of banning Adderall, I think that's a perfectly fine move. I have no objections to that. I just, just like, just like it's been said, just say it's illegal and we can start there. That's fine. I think that's a totally reasonable approach, but there are a few, I think misconceptions that Doug has that I want to correct. So the first being, I mean, I, I don't think he meant to imply this, but for people who maybe aren't around the pro tour, I don't want them to have the impression that like, we all get in huddles before the Pro Tour and pass around Adderall to each other. Like, I, I've never seen that. No team that I've ever played on has done that. I'm not saying it's not there. It absolutely is there. There's people taking Adderall before Pro Tours, but it, it's not widespread where, like, I don't think Channel Fireball has, hands out Pez dispensers full of Adderall to everyone before the tournament. Like, I, I don't think it's that much of an epidemic. So that's the first misconception. The second thing, and I get to bring some personal experience to this because when I went to law school, I went to a doctor, was diagnosed with ADD, and prescribed Adderall. Now, I kind of, I think there's flaws with diagnoses of ADD. I think people all think differently. Some of us have a harder time focusing in on one topic, we think more broadly. Is that a disease? I don't, I don't really think so. I, I think it's just like everyone's brain is different. We all approach topics differently. Some people have a harder time getting into one topic. So when I was in law school, I, I had a prescription. I took Adderall. I would note that it wasn't banned in my law school. And for those of you, you know, I know that we have a lot of Canadian listeners and maybe people who just aren't familiar with law school. Law school is a hyper-competitive environment. And your job opportunities are based on where you finish in your class for the most part. I finished first in my class after my first semester. And after one year of law school, I had a $200,000 a year job waiting for me as soon as I got out based on my first year performance, which I did with Adderall, legally. Um, so now, was it unfair to all of my classmates who didn't have a prescription to Adderall? I don't, I don't honestly know the answer to that. My take is no. I mean, obviously, a doctor felt that there was something I could benefit from. Maybe these people could benefit from it. Maybe not. But getting more directly to what actually we're talking about here, I didn't take Adderall when I played Magic because it made me horrible at Magic. Horrible. I, and you're right. It gets you in the zone. For me personally, and maybe this is like the effect of me actually having something wrong with my brain as opposed to someone who just takes it recreationally. I, I don't know. Maybe I do. Maybe I don't. But for me personally, I got so focused in on one aspect of the game that I would miss huge broad swaths of things and like get all of out, out of order. I, I played a pro tour while I was in law school with a prescription to Adderall. I didn't bring my Adderall with me. I had no interest in taking Adderall for the pro tour because I wanted not to be in that state. I didn't find it at all beneficial. I found it actually detrimental. So to say this is like you have to take this to compete, I don't think I believe that. At least for me personally, I know it's not true. I know it's not true. I was so much worse when I played on Adderall than not having Adderall. So that's my take on it. Um, you want to talk about, you know, testing people and then giving them the okay if they have the prescription? Well, I don't think it's hard in America to get a prescription. Like I said, I, I don't know about, I don't know how real ADD is. It's just kind of like 
you know, do you get distracted? Do you have a hard time focusing? I feel like everyone can say yes to that. I like, I don't think either you are diagnosed with ADD, but you would say that about yourselves, right? Like, how could you not get distracted? Things go on. You're interested in other stuff. Um, so that that's here in America. Maybe it's harder in Canada. Maybe it's infinitely easier in other countries around the world. Maybe in Mexico, you can just walk to a doctor and be like, hey, can I get an Adderall prescription? Sure, here you go. I, I don't know. Maybe it's it's not like that. But that's something to take into account where we're going to allow people who have prescriptions to use it and then ban it from people who don't have prescriptions. If it really is an edge, then mm, that's kind of like you're getting an edge based on what country you live in. I don't know. It's a really complicated issue. I think like it's very easy to kind of like pound the gavel, have to get this out of the game. It's not as clear cut as we're making it out to be. There's nuance to it. There's possibility that's not as beneficial as you think. I just wanted to bring that to light. But like I said, if Wizards was like no more Adderall, Adderall Magic tournaments, I'd be fine with that decision. I, I don't think there's any real downside to saying that. Um, I don't know. That's where I stand on it. I, I'd be interested to see what you guys think of my personal experience. Like, do you think I'm full of shit? Am I completely <laughs> talking nonsense? I, I really think it was, it was not a beneficial thing for me, and I chose not to take it with access to it. So that says something, I think. Yeah, I do, um, I do agree with some of your points, and I do want to make it clear that I, in no, in no way, think everyone on the Pro Tour that's good takes uh, performance-enhancing drugs, or it's you know even necessarily the majority. I was talking about if it becomes that way, because this is growing, and I know within my communities, I'm hearing it more and more because people are talking about it more and more, and, oh, we should start doing this too. And all of the anecdotal evidence I've heard, which is, you know, probably less than 20, more than 10 people, which is, a, you know, a reasonable sample size, have, have noted that they, um, they have focused better. Now, I didn't probe. I didn't get into it. You know, the bulk of this happened during one uh, long car ride conversation where a lot of us were sharing stories and talking about, you know, what we'd seen and experienced. But the way I look at it is, you know, drugs very clearly have an effect on people differently if they're prescribed and if they're not. They, they do. It's the reason why, you know, someone uh, can take Ritalin to calm down, whereas for other people, it will make them really, you know, energetic. So we don't need to get into all of the, the science of the chemicals and all of that and prescriptions and, and this and that. I just think that this is a mounting problem that's swept through lots of other esports. And Magic does kind of lag behind these other esports, and it's I think kind of bubbling up to a front uh, here. And we see a lot of other sports games, chess, bridge, other esports banning it. I think for good reason. And and I know it's a logical fallacy to assume that just because other you know people are doing it, you should do it too. But I think if we just take a step back and think about you know PEDs in general, pretty clearly there's there's a lot of negatives that come with them. And, and I think it's pretty simple to just like, like we said, ban it. Now I was doing some, I was looking up some of these links that uh, uh, Ruben had and chess. It says it's just a banned substance. I don't even know if you have a prescription, if you're allowed to be using while you're in the tournament. So of course we get into really weird scenarios where, like you said, what if you're prescribed? Uh, but I think I'd rather go down chasing them as the exceptions than just, kind of pretending this isn't a thing and not talking about it and not trying to move the dialogue forward to find some kind of solution if there is a problem like I think there is. Hmm. You know, what? there's one other thing I would mention. And I mean, I, I know what I'm about to say is addressable, but it's, it's worth considering before you move forward with something like this. So Adderall is the first one that comes to mind when you're thinking of mental performance enhancing drugs. 
I'll, I mean, I had a friend who I'm not going to name a magic player. And before magic tournaments, he took a cocktail of all legal drugs, which he said was a million times more effective than any kind of Adderall or anything like that. He learned about it on Reddit. Our, I think it's called R Nootropics, N-O-O-T-R-O-P-I-C-S. So if you want to look at that, you can go check out the site. I think that's the correct term. Um, and it's, it's basically a subreddit devoted to kind of like hacking your brain and getting more efficiency out of it. And it's a million different substances you can use, none of which we're talking about right, right now, none of which you or I would even recognize if, I, if we said the names of them. Um, so this kind of opens a rabbit hole. Are we going to go through one by one and eliminate all of these things? And we can. We can go down that rabbit hole. I mean, maybe some of them you can't even test for. And that's another problem altogether. Um, I don't know for sure. But it, it's just like we're not going to shut the book on this issue with um, kind of one statement like, okay, Adderall's gone. That's it. Performance enhancing drugs are out. This is a complicated issue. And um, I've actually I've written about this issue in regards to um, law and, and baseball contracts before in PEDs. So I do have some, some knowledge and experience and, and know that you kind of, a lot of what these organizations are doing is kind of just lip service. Like they're not actually genuine about getting PEDs out of their games. They just want to say they are. And I don't know if magic wants to kind of go down that same rabbit hole, uh, Super complicated issue, all kinds of nuance, but uh, this is just where I stand on it. We're, n- we're, not fi- we're not fixing this on this podcast is what I'm saying, but I think it's good to talk about it and to get opinions out there and, and see what the community is thinking about it. So definitely a topic we yeah, should, uh, and we should I, reach. I, I totally am willing to be completely wrong on this one too. And this is one of those times that if you guys have opinions on this or you can shed some light, you know, it, educate people like myself who, you know, haven't been down this uh, path of using these drugs like uh please chime in on this one because it's a big topic but uh that's what that's kind of what i have (laughs) it's awesome i've had uh remember old style ptq went down to burlington vermont to play one and one of the players there which was trying to sell like their their own little cocktail of uh, like a, a smart pill and someone in the chat mentions alpha brain which is um, a smart drug, I guess. There, there's nothing like Adderall. It's all, it's all legal stuff that you can take that is uh, being promoted by people like Joe Rogan and, and uh, companies called Onnit. So there, there's a bunch of different stuff uh, out there on, on nootropics, uh, like Brian mentioned about. I dabbled a bit looking into uh, the forums, but I never went deeper than just like stuff like this caffeine or... Um, L-theanine and, and really basic stuff. Uh, I didn't. I didn't dive deep into some of the the drugs that have that can have serious uh, implications. You know, KYT. There's one more thing I would I would talk about too, and I always talk about this when we talk about performance enhancing drugs in sports, and that's um, a lot of the arguments with getting PEDs out of baseball was about the records, right, and like the sanctity of the records. And I always like to say that Babe Ruth ate. 50 hot dogs a day and, and smoked 10 cigars and was still hitting home runs, right? Like there's this level and he didn't like think he was harming himself. He thought he was just living a normal, a normal life. There's this level of knowledge that comes as technology advances. And we as humans understand our bodies more and know how to optimize our bodies more. And it's kind of like we evolve through technology rather than uh, actual evolution at this point. So as we move forward, we understand the way our brain operates and we are able to optimize our brain. 
things like this might become commonplace. They might not be taboo anymore. It's just like, well, the human body benefits from this. We should all be doing it. You know, at some point we're going to have discussion not to get too sci-fi at everyone, but like we're going to have like cybernetic implants and we have to decide what we're going to do with those in sports. And these things are really complicated and uh, I, I find them really interesting. I think it's an interesting topic. It's one that I enjoy talking about, um, but I don't know where we're going to go on it. And good discussion though. Keep talking about it. And, you know, express opinions about it. If you're if you're really outraged about this, tell Wizards. I mean, I don't know how much they actually hear about this. This is so, something that's been kind of like below the surface of the community for a long time. I don't think it's been outwardly talked about. So it's definitely a good conversation to have. Yeah, that definitely. Uh, for me, I'm, I'm, you know, what you said um, makes me think a lot, Brian, because I'm not even sure. Like, I know some friends that are doing really well in Magic and, and they've never at least from my knowledge and what they say, they've never taken Adderall. And uh, to me, it would bother me if it was proven to have like significant uh, benefits. And it's, 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 it likely does, but it's, it's hard for, for me to say for sure. And I think in, uh, in a thread MTG Alberta, Doug, I, I, I replied with, I'm not really sure when people say uh, that they're in the zone. If it, for me, I'm not sure it's, it's a thing, or, or it's it's a thing that uh, not like they think it is. And usually, when they the reason why I'm skeptical is like each time they describe the zone, it's always like a tournament that they did really well in. Well, obviously, you must have felt really good. Like when Jeremy comes up with his Schofield, his example that he finished, you felt in the zone when he finished the second at the GP. Well, obviously, you felt in the zone. Um, do you think the zone's a real thing, Brian? Or just like maybe it is a thing, but not what people think it is? I don't I don't know. There's been times where like where I've played Magic and I have got to go back and watch myself and been like, wow, like I was on point. <laughs> did you like, lose the game though? Like, did you ever feel in the zone and lose? That's 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 the important part for me. Uh <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, like, honestly, in, like, my best Pro Tour performance, Vancouver, I felt in the zone. And, like, I go, I was on camera a lot. Um, so I was able to go back and watch a lot of my games. And I was like, I'm playing much better than I actually am. Like, I'm, I'm not this good. Like, I, I don't, I don't, I, I know what I just said doesn't seem like it, but I don't actually think that highly of myself as a Magic player. I think I'm, like, pretty mid-range. I played some really great games over the course of uh, a week. And then I also played some really bad ones. And But, like, when I was playing really well, I was like, Wow, I was kind of tapped into something there and, and just like, I remember I was talking to someone between rounds and I was just like, I feel like I can't lose right now. Like that's, that's to me what the zone is. Like it almost feels like impossible to lose. Like you're just like, no matter what it takes, I'm going to find a way to win this game. And I do kind of believe in that. And some of it is self-fulfilling prophecy and just like confidence, you know, test. Because there is a lot of confidence that comes into play to take like a risky line or be like, I'm sure this guy has this card and I have to play this way because I'm so sure of it and just like nail it. Um, so the zone's like a weird thing, but like quasi real. I I'm, I'm into the zone. I like it. I'm, I'm totally into the zone. I think it's real. And yeah, of course, like when you feel like you're in the zone winning, there's an association there. But I really clearly, I remember this past year, I went to a local legacy tournament and so they're just these four round tournaments at the store called the adventures guild they have really good prizing and i just remember like sitting down that day and just feeling so just in the zone with the delver deck i was playing and i was just blind cabal therapying the craziest stuff like merfolks game one looking at my hand and thinking 
I literally can't lose unless he has an Umazawa's Jit in his hand right now. So I'm just going to throw that out there and just like, he's like, oh, I only had one in the main deck. And I was just, and I went 2 2 in that tournament because, you know, I couldn't top deck some lands later on. But I really, really felt in the zone. So yeah, of course, you know, usually like I'm going to talk about Grand P Toronto. I felt in the zone, blah, blah, blah. It's my only GP top eight. But like, it's a real <laughs> thing. It is a real thing, KYT. And, uh, and when you're in it, you know, you feel it. You just feel like your brain is working better. I remember in that legacy tournament, I was thinking through this stuff that I don't normally think through. And, oh, he could draw this and do this. And normally in legacy, I feel like such a fish out of water that I don't, you know, consider what their top deck shardless into Baleful Strix could turn into, you know, two turns down the line. And so I think it's a real thing personally. And of course, your better results are going to be when you're in the zone. Like, that's kind of the whole point of it, right? <laughs> Two two in the zone. I love it. <laughs> Shout out to Vince. Um, I just feel like I think Brian may have mentioned a bit of, uh, about why, like when I'm in the zone, it's usually because uh, not because I suddenly entered the zone or I woke up uh, like I had this like perfect amount of sleep. It's usually because I had prepared for the format a crap ton and and know the cyborg plan of my opponent and know how to next level him and know him or her and. Stuff like that. So a lot of that stuff is, to me, is for me when I feel like I'm in that zone, it's when I prepared like crazy and I can anticipate my opponent's move, um, like just knowing that, you know, being fully ready to not always attack with smugglers copter when they have open mana and just play a threat and just keep jamming. So uh, that's when I feel in the zone when I feel like I'm doing the correct plays and and I know what I'm doing because most of the time like. Let's say I was to join Brian at GP Louisville. There's nothing, no drugs I could take that would put me in the zone because I have no idea what I'm doing. But isn't that kind of like what it is, though, if you think about it? Like when I think about, you know, an NFL player being in the zone, like th these guys are often in the zone, you know, 10 of the 16 weeks, maybe 11, because they have the best preparation and they're the professionals. And when we watch a guy like Owen Turtenwald just seem like he's always so focused in the zone, it's a lot to do with his preparation and his research, you know, not just something he was born with. So I do think you're, you are kind of explaining what it is and why it happens, but I think it's definitely a real thing. <laughs> Vince in the chat, Vince in the chat is talking about how it stems from confidence. And I think that's exactly right. And one of the best sports, if there's any tennis players, tennis is this weird sport where like you can be absolutely awful some days and then great others. And it basically, depends on how good you think you are that day. Like if I think I can just rip the ball and make every shot, then I'm a great tennis player. If I'm like, oh, I'm a little off today, I'm a lot off that day. Like there's, there's nothing I can do to get my game together. Uh, and, and you feel the zone more in tennis than almost any other sport I've ever played. Like it, it's crazy how much your stroke just like, I bet golfers would say the same thing. I'm a pretty mediocre golfer, but I bet they would say the same thing too, where you're just like, I can do whatever I want right now. And it's just because you believe you can do whatever you want. All right. I think this is a great topic, actually, and, and to see our, our listeners uh, chime in on this topic. So let's go straight to the big excitement of today, Ether Revolt. Lots of exciting cards. The number one card, we'll just, we'll just go with the number one card that everyone's talked about first. Fatal Push. For one black mana, one instant. It's just an instant that destroys target creature if it has... Converted mana costs two or less. It has the new mechanic revolt, which is destroy that creature if it has converted mana costs four or less instead of instead if a permanent you control left the battlefield this turn. 
there's some synergy with with fetch lands definitely in there uh and i obviously for me standard application is finally an insanely cheap answer to smuggler's copter instead of having to wait until you have three mana for stasis snare this might motivate me to go maybe in a more orzov type uh smuggler copter deck um so are we all convinced that fatal push is awesome brian I mean, it's just like Disfigure, right? Like Disfigure is the same card, and there's there's Smother. All these cards, it's just like I don't know, man. Like it'll see play, but it's not. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> this card's really good. Uh, I w- I think we like we're supposed to have a debate because this is a debate show, but uh, there's no debate about this card. Like this is one of the most bonkers prints, and I love it because it's it's an insane print that everyone can get real excited about. That isn't like this huge splashy effect. It just it's still just one for one removal, but it's hyper, hyper efficient. It does so much. It answers so many different things. And it's kind of like a removal spell we've been waiting for for so long in so many formats. I mean, this is going all the way back to vintage, without a doubt. This and the question is not, is this card good? It's is this card format defining? Do you are decks being shaped around this card? Do five mana creatures become way more playable because you're dodging <laughs> fatal push? And people just have like four copies of fatal push in their deck. So you're like, you know, you don't play anything but Ishkana in your deck because you don't want to lose your creatures to it. I mean, like you could see the shape of something like the Aetherworks Marvel deck changing, you know, moving away from the servants of the conduit just because everyone has four fatal push in their deck, right? So like we just don't play that card anymore. And now we have no top no uh targets for fatal push. It's it's Without a doubt, going to have very far-reaching implications. Um, I'm excited to see how it affects modern, maybe the most. I mean, like you can see the ripple effects already, right? Like this is a nuts card against Infect. Like it just hits everything. It doesn't care about their pump spells. Um, so now, like, does Infect move to four blossoming defense? And if they're playing four blossoming defense, always is it a turn slower? So now this deck comes into play, and there's all these ripples that move throughout the format. Um, this is the type of card. I want to be excited about. I don't want to see huge, splashy four mana planeswalkers that, you know, just kind of dictate play over and over. These like efficient, well costed, globally useful effects. Yes, I'm on board. Exciting, exciting print. <laughs> oh, Doug. It kills lands. It kills freaking animated <laughs> lands. Inkbot Nexus, Raging Ravine. Come on, this thing is insane. I mean, I, I thought I was going to go first just to really hype it, but it doesn't even matter. I'm still hyped. This card is crazy. And you know the craziest part is they didn't just like hand standard and modern and legacy just staple like right on a platter. They also handed LSV the easiest pun ever. He can talk about how pushed this card is for the next year and a half. Like that's all he's going to talk about on coverage is, you know, how how they're pushing a card for control and blah, blah, blah. Like it's it's just... It's great. This card is fantastic. I mean, obviously in Modern and Legacy, when you can sack a fetch lands, you know, we're talking about a card that can kill up to Siege Rhinos. I mean, cards like Tassiger already look better to me just because this card exists. I mean, that card was already great, right? And now it looks even better. Gurmag Angler, you know, big boys are going to be coming out that can can survive the, the Fatal Push. But, man, this card is sweet. Like, it kills the, the Noble Hierarch, the Goyf. It can kill all the way up to the Siege Rhino. Like, talk about a Frontier staple right here. This is this is a Frontier-defining card. I mean, on all of the on all of the subreddits, I bet they're just going crazy about this because, like, everything you can Coco into, 
like this will be able to kill if you just sack a fetch land. No, but I, I'm really all about this card. You named the main applications Copter. That's the one. You, you want something that's going to kill the Copter before it attacks. Before, we had to tap Black Black to do that efficiently early. And if we're on the draw, we're just significantly like in desperation of having the correct mana by turn two, um, which the the land i always call it bloom and onion i don't know why the bloom and marsh whatever that land is helped us but uh, now we just need to have a black by the time that they attack so uh this card's sweet i think it's coming at the right time um it's going to be interesting to see what kind of permanence we can be sacking i mean obviously i think about in standard tireless tracker uh, I, I think about just any kind of clue generation uh to be able to for three mana you know get that permanent in you know, sacrificed and um but it's even left the battlefield. Like if they reflector mage something, you can kill their th three or four drop. Like oh, this card's great. Wow, yeah, I didn't think about that. It's like yeah. Even in, in uh oh inspector sack clue kill your Giselle or kill whatever. Like wow. You can like play your one mana elephant, bounce it back to your hand for your energy and then Fail push something like come on, this card's sweet. <laughs> this is gonna be this is gonna be played everywhere. <laughs> this card. Yeah, I think the question in standard is like, is it a four of? Because standard to standard kind of tends higher in the converted mana cost of creatures, so it's not like the absolute killer that it is in modern, where it just like kills every card in a lot of decks. Um, I'm not saying it's not insanely powerful because it deals with a lot of really key cards. Uh, I wonder if it's just going to be like every black deck plays four, though. I, my instinct is probably a little less. You probably have access to all four in your 75, I think. Um, but you probably start two or three main deck. But I, I, I mean, maybe it's just a snap four. If I could be totally wrong. This is an efficient, the efficiency on this card is through the roof. That's really, you could see the ripples in standard too. Like, you're right, you're not obligated to have black-black anymore, so you open up a third color for the green-black decks. You talk about Grixis Control maybe being a player again, because now you can answer all these different threats very effectively. Um, yeah, I'm excited. This, this is a fun card. And it's, it's so funny that it's such a simple effect, and this is what we get so excited about. Like, it says a lot about... I wish design would kind of get back to this. Like, this is, this is what I want, not the Planeswalkers and not the Aetherworks Marvel, like just allow us to play the game efficiency and open up more design paths in our deck building. Like, give us more flexibility in our deck building. And that is what excites me about the game more than, oh, I put a 13-13 in play on turn four. Like, these are the cards that I'm pumped about. And I, I wonder, I mean, it seems like the internet's kind of on fire with this card. I wonder if this is just, like, the spike stance or if everyone's as excited about this card as, as you and I are because we're pumped. Like, this is a cool spell. Really exciting. I mean, I'm, I'm going to hate it when people use it against me. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, moving on to a few other cards that, that uh, I want your thoughts on. Uh, start with, uh, starting with you, Doug. Greenbelt Rampager. And Greenbelt Rampager is a one mana, three, four elephant. So it's one green. And one green belt Rampager enters the battlefield. Pay two energy counters. If you can't return, Return it to its owner's hand, and you get one energy. Hmm. Three, four, four, one. Excite you, Doug. Yeah, it's a three, four, four, one, but it's not a three, four on turn one. 
Uh, just of note, you're just most likely not going to have two energy. I do think this card's sweet because I've been, you know, trying to think with these red-green energy beatdown decks, there's kind of this interesting tension where in the very early game, you need more effects to just kind of give you a little bit more energy because you kind of starve yourself before you get to the blistering hydra phase or you might just be a little bit of energy too short to be able to, you know, activate your uh, two-drop guy into a 4-3 and then have enough extra to save uh, a hydra before its triggered ability resolves. So it does that. And then in kind of like the mid-game, when you've generated enough energy, you also can be, you know, energy flooded. It's just this weird tension that, you know, sometimes you draw too many of your producers, sometimes you draw too many of your spenders. And the thing I like about this card is it's both a inefficient producer when you have none, and it's also a spender when you have some. So it kind of does both. Um, I I wish that you could choose if you could use it like as a as an energy even if you had to sack it let's say if it was templated a little bit differently that it's like you could bounce it or you could pay or you could sack it and get the energy so if you have two plus you just have to use it but i think a three four for one mana is where we want to be i talked about a small application i don't know if that's actually going to be a real thing where you're bouncing it back to your hands be able to fail push maybe that's a corner case scenario uh but i you know Energy is kind of right now at a place where I feel like the only way to go is combo. These beatdown decks that came out of the Pro Tour, Sean McLaren went 8-2 with a cool one. I just feel like there's not enough there. And maybe a 3-4 creature for one mana uh, when in the mid-game you're trying to just use all your mana efficiently. Like turn 3, let's say, alongside a Servant of the Conduit is exactly where you want to be. So I'm all about this guy. I'm hyped. Bring it on. I think that Asking for this guy to like be the key for beatdown decks. First of all, those aren't beatdown decks; those are combo decks. Any deck that plays larger than life, I'm I'm not buying as a beatdown deck. Like this is a deck that wants to make an arbitrarily large creature, um, and is based that's, around. That's not the list. Deck. I'll I'll post the list, but that's not the list for the record. <laughs> he, he red green larger than life in his deck. No, it's just a, it's actually just a beatdown deck. Yeah, eight okay. two with it. Deck was okay. like really cool. I'm gonna go I, post it while you're talking. He plays I guess the four the 4-4 four, four red uh, for 3 mana, so it's more, yeah, it's, it's more lean. Okay. I was thinking more along the lines of the deck that Joe Lossett used to win the Invitational, so that's my bad. Um, okay, that's an interesting, interesting application. I, I don't know... This is very rarely... I mean, it can't come down before turn 2, at the earliest. In that case, you attuned with either. Um... I don't know how important having just like a three four body is in the format right now it seems pretty bad if there's a lot of um like veteran motorists and you know the the two three red guy and toolcraft exemplars i think this guy gets a lot better a lot more interesting the three four body looks really good in those cases i'm kind of somewhere in between on this guy it, it i don't think it's a format definer i it wouldn't shock me if it sees no play. Um, that wouldn't blow my mind. Or just like fringe play in exactly that green-red beatdown deck. It doesn't really seem like a fit to me in the Marvel decks. Maybe as a sideboard card again for like the decks I'm talking about where you want to block a 3-1. But I'm pretty sure they would just rather Kozilek's return in most cases if they have access to red. So yeah, I, I'm I'm somewhere in between on this card. It, certainly like one mana 3-4s get you excited, right? Like that's Those are good stats at a good rate. Um, there's a lot of hoops to jump through with this one. 
I see what you're saying, like about getting, you can use it for a very slow way to get two energy in between. You're, you didn't sell me all the way, but I'm not going to totally trash that this is a, a guy who could sneak in and see some play. Uh, and a lot of it is like, what other energy cards are in the set? That's always the question with energy is like, well, what else am I looking at? I mean, maybe there is now a way with uh, a, an Aether Hub to get to two energy on turn one, right? Like a zero cost artifact add one energy. I'm sure they didn't make that card, but they, they could have, right? It's possible that that card exists, and it probably still wouldn't be good enough, to be honest with you, but um, you never know. I want to see what, else, what other energy is out there before I'm giving my final verdict on this guy, but right now I'm in the middle. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, for, for the record, I linked uh, Sean's deck in the chat so you can look at it. It really is like a tireless tracker, beat-down deck, uh, and it's just looking to make creatures to harness their stuff, to incendiary flow their stuff, and uh, to get in there. And I think this card fits into that theme. It looks personally. good in this deck. It looks good in this um, deck. Sure. And this was an 8-2 deck. At, if you remember, that Pro Tour was like incredibly filled with Marvel, which is not a great matchup for his deck. Um, he, he went reasonable against it. He came prepared. Uh, but this was a deck at the time that was doing very well against the blue-whites that were emerging and some of the other decks. So... Um, the list, you know, you can Google it. I tried to link it in the chat. We can get a link put up in the show notes if we want. But I, I like this guy in a red green beatdown. It's probably not a four of. You don't want to get cluttered with this card. Uh, but I mean, I, I can see some ones and twos in there. It might replace. So I'm hyped. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad to see uh, the hype. Uh, especially when I, I it reminds me of when I first spoiled uh, Grim Flare. On manadeprived.com, uh, co-worker Rob Anderson called it, Snap called it a bulk mythic. And uh, boy, <laughs> is he, boy, is he ever wrong now. False. <laughs> Definitely uh, gets reminded every day uh, for, his, uh, for his Snap call. Um, let's move to uh, Siege Modification. Uh, that's two red, one colorless, enchantment aura, enchant creature or vehicle, as long as enchanted permanent, is a vehicle, it's a creature in addition to its other types. Enchanted creature gets plus three, plus zero, and has first strike. Brian, what do you think about this card? I think there's something exciting going on here. I'm not saying that this is like 100% getting into standard, or it's certainly not going to be a format definer, but I will tell you that if I was qualified for this Pro Tour, I would certainly work on a deck with Siege Modification and... Consulate Dreadnought. I realize I'm referencing another card now. Consulate Dreadnought is, is a one-mana artifact vehicle with Crew 6, and it's a 7-11. So at the cost of two cards on turn three and standard, you can make a 10-11 first striker. That is pretty freaking good. Um, that ends the game on turn four, if, if they don't do anything, if you're just gold fishing. Um, that's pushed, man. Like this is This is the type of theme... That screams casual, right? Like this is the type of this should be an F and M deck. This should show up at F and M. Someone should be really excited about this deck, and they're going to go like two two, and win the door prize and go home happy. Um, but I like the fact that these kind of like F and M jokey decks are being pushed a little bit by Wizards. You know, between the Siege modification, the card I mentioned previously, um, we have one more guy who plays really well with this Peacekeeper Colossus. Peacekeeper Colossus is a three-mana artifact vehicle. And for a white one, another target vehicle you control becomes an artifact creature until end of turn. So now we, we have another way to turn on these uh, 
these vehicles. And there's also start your engines from the previous set, plus two on trample, I believe, for all your vehicles. Is it trample on that card? You guys know offhand? I don't think it's trample. It's not trample, it's just two and turn them on. It might be haste, but it's I don't think it's trample. I'll Google it. Okay. Um either way, this is this is an exciting, you know, kind of the all vehicles, no creatures archetype is is interesting. I want to see uh the power level seems really strong. I, like I said, I'm not saying it's going to set the world on fire, but if I was queued for this Pro Tour, 100 percent I'd be testing this deck. This is the type of deck you love for a pro tour if you if you find an optimal list and you blindside people and you're just attacking for 20 over the course of two turns this can get the job done i mean this reminds me of the red green landfall deck we played at pro tour uh milwaukee um which was you know an early version of the become immense team or battle rage engine uh, exactly what i'm looking for potential turn three goldfish yeah sign me up that's cool um it's not trample or haste by the way start your engine just two yeah, just to own turn on. Um, all creatures get it, not just vehicles. But, yep. uh, you know, you did say, you know, there are a few things I wrote down to reference that you said that I completely agree with. Um, you said, you're not saying this card's amazing. I agree with that. You said uh, it's not going to make it into every deck list. I agree with that. Um, you also said that it makes a 10-11 on turn three, and that's pushed. And this jokey deck is being pushed. And I agree, it's being fatal pushed. Because it just <laughs> dies to a one-mana black spell that it we does. just talked about as being format-defining. So, so you're, this whole like cool deck idea of making this 10-mana guy, or 10-power guy on turn 2, dies for one black mana. And even if that wasn't the case, I still think that Siege Modification is the type of card that is going to sit in a bulk uncommon box somewhere. Um, I will admit that when I first looked at the, what was the scissors called in M15 or whatever? The Insol Artifact. Insol Artifact. Another deck had to find a Pro Tour that looked I, I I will fully admit that when I first looked at that card, I had very similar feelings as I do to Siege Modification. So I'll go on the record and saying I was flat wrong on that one <laughs> uh, in Standard. But I do not think that the one extra mana that this, you know, needs to be a very specific vehicle, not something like not any artifact uh, and it doesn't boost toughness, another relevant thing. So if you're putting it on something like a copter, let's say, it still dies to harness lightning, right? Like, I, I'm just not personally convinced um, that this is this is a real card. I think it's going to be a great limited card, uh, but it's going to remain there. And I think it's cool to have people testing it. Because um, like I said, I was wrong about in Soul before. But when I read this, I don't see what, I see now an in soul. Um, I just see a junk card that makes a cool <laughs> little combo. So, so no. What did you think about Madcap skills, uh, Doug? See, Madcap skills. I read and I was like, oh my god, this is gonna win me like every limited <laughs> game. And and we tried to make a Madcap like we tried to put Madcap skills on creatures uh, when one of the PTs I was testing, I think it was uh, Montreal. Was that when Madcap skills was out? But, you know, we tried to make that a real deck too. And, you know, two for ones, this was at a different time when removal was at a different place and decks people playing were much slower. Whereas now people are trying to combo kill by turn four. So if you can, you know, siege modify combo, kill them back faster while they're dirtling, like, sure, that's sweet, but I don't know. I'm not about it. Hard stance, cards garbo, on the record. <laughs> oh, and, and it doesn't help that uh, there's a lot of reflector mages in the format. Um, 
But I, 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 I'm with Brian. I can see a lot of people just, just straight killing people, uh, just jamming and, and doing 10 damage right away. So um, Anyone so who I, kills me with this in standard for the first three months of the format at a local store, I'll give you a free booster pack. <laughs> I want the entire store to just show up. They're, they're going to sell out of siege modifications in your store because people are going to try and so bad. I have not been playing locally lately, but I will start playing locally again on Monday and Tuesday nights because I have those nights off work just so you guys can try and beat me with that card. Let's please, go. please siege modify him to death. Just go in over standard. and over. <laughs> uh, we're we're going to talk about... Uh, one last card from Prometheus Revolt, uh, Shram's Expertise. Two white mana and two colorless sorcery. Create three one one color servo artifact creature tokens. And then, um, just like the black card that, that gave minus three, minus three to all creatures, you may cast a card with converted mana cost three or less from your hand without paying its mana cost. And there's, um, of course, a lot of talk on Twitter, just like for Fatal Push, because people have seen historically how pushed <laughs> uh, free mana mechanics can be. Um, we'll start with you, Doug. What do you, what do you think? Is it just, are people just overexcited or you see something here? Yeah, free mana is something to get excited for, right? And we've talked on the podcast before. I think it was Rob and I talked about Yahini's expertise. And I was super hyped about that because, you know, it can clear the board and cast a free spell. I'm not that hyped about this card because you just get three servo tokens and can cast a spell i mean three tokens for i don't know what to attribute it. you want to call it one mana because you're also getting to cast a three drop if you're casting a two drop it's two mana yeah that's pretty sweet but what's the deck gonna look like that really wants three one ones for four mana that also wants to cast a free spell is it an aggro deck is this some depala deck I just, I guess I don't see where this is going into. If it's a deck that's like already played all of its cards, that's not great. You know, DePaul is the only thing that I can really see that you just refilled a bunch of cards and maybe it's cool to get tokens, but I'm not hyped about this card. I'm not saying it's junk because clearly, you know, it's free spell and three one ones. It's going to be great and limited for tempo and I'm sure it will see play, but I don't put this, you know, in, in the hype uh, hype range. I think it's much worse than the minus three, minus three one. And uh, I'm not super excited about it, quite honestly. Mm. Brian, you feel differently. I feel so differently. I, I could not be any more excited because, as we established in our, our previous discussion, perhaps the most broken mechanic in the history of Magic the Gathering is cost reduction. And this card has cost reduction on its face. You get to play a free converted mana cost three or less spell. So that's great. Let's talk about the other keyword in this set, and that's improvise, which is a second form of cost reduction. And improvise requires you to tap artifacts to get that cost reduction. And you just got three artifacts for the cost of one mana. Now, these things chaining into each other, both cost reduction mechanics basically being empowered by one card, that's a really, really, really big deal. If there are good improvised cards in this set, and it's very rare that Wizards devotes the space to a mechanic and doesn't make any good cards with it. Like, I know they're going to be careful about improvised. They'd have to be stupid not to be because we've seen Affinity before. They are going to be careful, but there's also going to be good improvised cards in this set. There's no way there's not tournament quality improvised cards. 
And this card might be doing more to enable them than anything else. Also, like just the simple like play Strom's expertise and put an always watching into play. Like, well, that's really good. I just got, you know, three two twos for but doesn't that um, non-token creatures? Always yeah, watching. Does, oh, does. I got excited. You're right. Okay, that's <laughs> I mean, that sounds great to me. We can't, we, we can't cut this off the live show. Yeah, hard cut. <laughs> no, keep it in. I like to own my mistakes. I make a lot of mistakes. The way you grow is by mistakes. You're right. That's a bad one. But uh, <laughs> there's still... Ajani's oath though, which Vince Dag Dagger Four. He said, "Play okay. this into oath of Ajani or sure. Nissa." As the yeah. freebie spell in a green white walker deck, yeah, so yeah. shout out to Dagger Four. That's what you're getting at, right? Is great. pumping. There, there's you. other pump effects out there. And this yeah. is a really great one that I should have <laughs> used as an example. Um, but but yeah, I, my main excitement point is because of the improvisability. I, I think that you're getting if you're able to take advantage of improvise and you're getting a free spell out of this, you're getting a tremendous amount of value. Um, and, and this could be something that absolutely breaks depending on what else is in the set. I, I'd like to, I, I need to see more improvised before I'm like over the moon, but as it stands now, I have a feeling this will be a widely played card. Yeah. And I, I do want to say like, clearly other cards could get printed that will change my opinion, but, um, right now the best improvised that I see is the tinker. And it's actually kind of cool that you can like play this into something else then tinker the next turn and that's really powerful but this card just screams magical christmas land to me it screams a bad top deck late it's like top decking timely reinforcements you know when you're ahead or whatever and it's like oh nice card and when you're way behind is this really going to be what saves you maybe if it's a mid-range battle i don't know this is a more mid-rangey card than an aggro card, certainly. So yeah. for a mid-rangey deck to take advantage of these type of effects, it, it needs to look a little different. And uh, we've seen a mid-range type of deck who could take advantage of this before in the green-white tokens deck. So there's kind of a blueprint already in place. One of the key cards is already there. Um, I, I'm not excited about Oath of Vajani as a card. I think it's something that people are a little pumped on. But but Intanissa sounds really powerful to me. Um, you know, you're... You have a super protected Planeswalker in play that's going to, as the game goes on, create even more value on those tokens. So, uh, yeah. Is she I, still I, legal? She is, right? I, I think so, right? <laughs> for know. one more rotation. I don't know about magic. I'll just leave the show if she's no, not I think still legal. She's, I think she's legal for three more months, I think. It's been so long since we've seen her. I know, so right? That's a question. But <laughs> I, I'm pretty confident she's still in the format. Um, if, if not, I retire. That's it. <laughs> My first straight career is over. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Consummate professional, he said at the start. Yeah. yeah, I'm willing to leave at a moment's notice if I make too many mistakes. But otherwise, consummate professional. Uh, that is so good. Um, before we move on to our uh, last topic to finish up, so the question for for the people in chat uh, for a sweet twenty five dollars store credit at facefacegames.com. Leave in the chat who you'd side with and and maybe give me a little reason why. Uh, so we have Doug was championing the Green Belt Rampager versus Brian's Siege Modification and Shram's Expertise. So chime in the chat, and we'll move on. While you guys do that, we'll talk about our 2016. How was 2016 for you, Doug? You know, 2016 in Magic was great. Um, I qualified for two Pro Tours. I top four to GP. But more than that, I felt like I really grew a lot closer with a lot of the members of the Alberta community. Um, this led to, I'd say, all of my results because I had people 
guys that are lesser known in our community that are really good at helping you really think through what you're doing, why you're doing it. Uh, and these are guys like Brett Steele, guys like Zach Turchansky, guys like Brian Sue, who uh, Attila Fur, who just will talk to you about these, you know, decisions or plays that you've made, and will drive to Calgary and back just for some cash tournament and we have six hours where we just get deep and you know brian joked about recording our car trips and turning into a podcast because it just gets really cerebral and we just go like into the tank just talking about magic and it really kind of helped elevate my game to a level that i had never in my life been before um and i really owe a lot of my year in magic to those guys uh, it culminated in a sweet trip to costa rica um with matt mercy and another sweet trip to portland and uh, I, I just felt super happy with how I did. Even in the tournaments that I didn't cash, uh, such as Portland, I just had a great time, you know, testing with players from Calgary, like Truman and Tyler, Tyler, who's won a GP that I didn't really prepare a ton with before, uh, but but we just grew closer. And so I'd say that the community in Alberta uh, really helped my 2016 and Magic just kind of blossom into a bunch of results that, yeah, led to two kind of mediocre day two bumbling pro tour finishes for my for three points. But uh, I really had a blast. And uh, shout out to the the greatest British player I know, Sammy T, for helping this year be awesome as well. <laughs> Sweet. How was your 2016, Brian? Uh, it was probably my worst magical year ever. Like, I really didn't accomplish anything i didn't i didn't play a lot uh i think this might be my first year since i started playing competitive that i didn't cash a gp um and and this sounds all like kind of down in the dumps but it's actually not because i think i learned a lot about myself as a magic player this year um i kind of like i, I played two pro tours last year and while I was doing that, I was working at a law firm in New York City and just working insane hours and very, um, very little time to test or prepare. And I was always like, you know, I wish I could really devote myself to magic and actually like make a run and see if I could be a professional. And I left my job this year. I left in uh, July and I, I got to, I left New York City, I moved to upstate New York and I came home and I was like, all right, now it's time to play some magic. And I sat down and I'm like, I'm going to grind some games out. And it turned out I didn't really want to. And that sounds weird because it's something that like, I kind of endeavored to do for a long time, but it's just like, I feel like now I understand my place in magic. Like I'm not supposed to be that guy who's at every pro tour and I'm, I, I don't want to grind every games and I don't want to go to every fnm and I, I like i'm kind of a renaissance man i like a lot of things you know I, I like i like snowboarding a lot right now and i like playing my guitar and i like all this different stuff and magic is better for me when it's in balance in my life and it's not what my life is about and finally i understand that because i had the opportunity to take some time and be like okay it's magic time and i'm like well actually i don't i don't want all magic time i want to stay diverse and i i want to you know keep having the kind of like one-off experiences that i've had you know Doug mentioned Costa Rica. I was also in Costa Rica. It was it was amazing. That it was a great part of my magical year for sure. I had a great time. Um, I traveled a bunch of places. I saw a lot of people who kind of um, looked to me as a mentor. Find a lot of success. Uh, a friend Alex Stratton, who was very close. He hasn't qualified for a pro tour yet, but he's so close. He lost the GP top eight by by one game this year. 
Um, and I know he's kind of, he always says I help him a lot. I don't know how helpful I actually am, but he says I help him a lot. And, and that was a good part of my year, getting to see someone who kind of worked under me grow. But I'm just super happy that I, I feel like I understand Magic's role in my life a lot better now. And I'm not putting all this pressure on myself to like, I have to get back to the Pro Tour. I have to, you know, redeem myself and finally get that Pro Tour top eight. I'm just going to play Magic when I feel like it. I'm going to try and enjoy it. And uh, we'll see what 2017 brings. If it brings me back to the Pro Tour, great. If not, I'm happy to keep doing First Strike, keep talking to you guys every week. Uh, I enjoy it a lot. So things are good. Things are different. I'm happy moving forward at this point. Wow. Sweet. I mean, it resonates a lot with me. Um, This year is probably the biggest dip for me. Like 2016 is the biggest dip in Planeswalker points. Um, I, at one point, I had... As a Canadian who lives in Quebec, it's kind of, I think I did, I splurged a little too much on my traveling where I was able to get over like 4,000 points in one season. As someone who didn't necessarily make the Pro Tour uh, that often, it was, I think I, I went well over the line that, that I should have. Um, but with, like Brian, um, thankfully, I was able to qualify twice and I've mentioned this on numerous interviews and, and many times on the A-team, that I feel at peace now that I've been able to uh, achieve uh, the Pro Tour, uh, this goal of mine that, that I felt was extremely hard under the old PTQ system. I just felt there's just one player out of, like, it's even easier in Montreal when it's, like, 130 instead of, like, 150. Or, or some places up here, they, they had, like, old-style PTQs of 200-plus players. I mean, even if you're the best in the room, how many of those tournaments do you need to play to actually win one of them? It's just crazy. Uh, just to make it twice and to play against top players, like I played against Sam Black, like players are are known, and Tom Ross. Brian Gottlieb. Brian, did I play you at the PT? Yeah, we played oh, at yeah. uh, Pro Tour Vancouver. You me, oh, yeah, 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 you crushed me. Um, Victorious. Brian Gottlieb, Paul Chion, um, a lot of these guys that I would just only know from – just watching them on stream and, and playing against them. And I could feel it when I play against like Alex, I, there's moments where I feel, felt outclassed uh, when I played against him a long time ago. But once I've achieved the PT and played against these people who I've been like testing in the lab, in the pro tour lab for so long. And I was just uh, with me and, and like people like Jessica and Xavier, people who aren't like super famous. Um, I didn't feel uh, like, I didn't feel like I wasn't in their league. Um, I didn't feel intimidated, and I felt super at peace. So um, this year, 2016, I basically took off um, completely in terms of uh, trying to get back on the PT. But I've been, you know, as my job as media coordinator for face-to-face games, seeing the face-to-face games open, um, like the attendance that we're getting, especially in Alberta, Doug, increase and increase be significantly bigger than we've ever had in previous years. It's just like very... um, fulfilling for me just to see so many people enjoy the game and we're hoping to keep increasing that number and that's my main focus and doing the show doing something that i've a format that's been ever since brian and i started uh the rolling the ball for for pti like four years ago or even i don't know it must be six years ago now it's always been in the back of my mind to do something like this that I feel uh, gives a lot of value to to our listeners um, because there's just not a lot of podcast content out there by people 
uh, like the like the three of us who have been at the PT, who are at that level, who look at the game in a more competitive way. We're not just um, taking like casually and just playing FNMs. We've all been at the PT. We've all wanted to make that Potor top eight. Um, Brian's come close, and I think Doug's probably going to hit it soon, hopefully. So um, 2017 is just a lot of more magic content for me production-wise and, and getting back into the groove. I, I've never hit, uh, before this past month, I have never hit the 1900 rating on MTGO, but I basically come pretty close. I went to 1890-ish with uh, Blue White Flash, and I, I've got to say, I, I've never felt uh, so strong uh, about my magic skills uh like now is, is where i feel my strongest i guess i'm in the zone as yeah, <laughs> you are. way to bring it full circle um so that's our show the winner for uh the 25 dollars store credit you can message me on facebook because you got me on facebook is misplaced ginger wine congratulations and thanks to everyone who watched be sure to subscribe. Be sure to, give, to keep supporting this channel and, and all the free stuff that I'm giving. By giving this video a thumbs up, you have no idea how much it helps. It just a little click of a button is just going to help us a long way. So thank you so much, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Guys and girls, we're, we'll probably have Lombardi on so that the Hamilton army can be, can be happy. So ciao, guys.